we were had all of our family over uh, at at, uh, at our house. The, the some of Vanessa's family the day after Thanksgiving. We kind of do the alternating year thing, so it was our year for different people to do different things. But some of Vanessa's family all came over yesterday, and they have an uh, elementary school age child. And, uh, and and Claire was telling me later that night after they had gone, she was downstairs playing on the Wii with Zoe. And as they were playing, uh, Zoe looked, she could tell Zoe wanted to talk to her about something. And uh, and so Claire was just kind of, you know, giving her time to get there on her own. And uh, and and uh, and Zoe said, just, let's get a couple more minutes here. So so if you're if you're if you got little kids in your and you're, you're a Santa family, you can send your kids on, a, on an errand of some kind. But Zoe looks over at Claire and says, has your mom talked to you about Santa? <laughs> right? Claire's like almost 18. And uh, so Claire's like not sure, right? right? Which, which way is this conversation going? You don't want to be that cousin in the family. You with me? Because you cannot recover from that. You know? And so uh, Zoe looks at her and says, yeah, my... My mom gave me the Santa talk. It's Santa's Santa's not real. And so so Claire was like, whew, right? Now, you know, I, I know where I'm supposed to go with this. And so then they just, you know, had this great conversation. But but I loved the naivete of Zoe, right? Not sure whether or not, like she could spoil something for Claire. She could spoil something for Claire. And and but but I was thinking about that in this moment because. It's, it's a reminder to me that, that there are things that in life that we believe to be true, and they're not. You with me? It's one of the reasons why God's given us this book, because we, 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 we come into certain agreements with certain beliefs that, that need to change in, in order for us to mature. And grow and become the people that God created us to be. I'm sharing that story because in their last installment on our prayer series, I feel like that maybe there are some beliefs that you have about prayer that are keeping you from from prayer. There are, there are some myths that maybe you've you've bought into, and I want to break some of those down. There's four of them, and then I'm hoping we have the time that to share some things that the Bible says that might come as a surprise to you, that there are times where the Bible actually tells us that we should not pray. In fact, that might, if someone had asked you, is there any time in the Bible that tells you that you shouldn't pray? My reflexive response to that would be no, but if that was your reflexive response, we would both be wrong together because there are some times where where the Bible says prayer is not going to be effective in these circumstances and situations. So time permitting, I want to do four myths that keep people from praying, and then I want to talk about three things where you're going to find where God says that prayer is not going to be an, an effective thing for you in that moment. But before I get to those things, I want to share a couple of things that don't have anything to do with the sermon. I just wanted to throw that out to, to, uh, to lay the, the, the groundwork for our, our, our close of our series on prayer. But I had such a sense coming into this week. I want to read out of Acts 27, 1 to 3. As I was reading this week, I came across this phrase, and I felt like I was supposed to share this with, with somebody here tonight. Acts 27, 1 through 3, it says, When the time came, we set sail for Italy, and Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius. 
and a captain of the Imperial Regiment. And Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was also with us. And we left on a ship whose home port was a dramatum. And on the northwest coast, the province of Asia, it was scheduled to make several stops at ports along the coast of the province. And, and then there's this phrase, the next day. And, and when I read that phrase, I had such a sense that, that some of you, you're, in a, you're, in a, an, an, you're on the verge of a next day moment. The next day when we docked at Sidon, Julius was kind to Paul and let him go ashore to visit with friends so they could provide for his needs. Now, if you don't know the story, is Paul has been arrested and he's on his way to Rome to make his case before Caesar. And he's under guard. And, and, and as I was reading the story, when I saw that, that phrase the next day, it was such a reminder to me that even when we are in difficult circumstances, God makes allowances for next day moments for us to sustain us in the midst of our hardship. And I had such a sense that there were going to be people, again, whether you're here in the room or whether you're watching from online, that you're in a season like Paul was in. You're just you're in a season of hardship and you're not sure if you're going to make it. And I just felt like God wanted to say to you, there is a next day for you around the corner. There's a next day moment that God's going to to make available to you that's going to sustain you, to give you hope, to continue on your way. And then as I, as I kept reading, I'm not going to read it all for the sake of time, but as you keep reading in Acts 27 and then in Acts 28, you find that Paul's on this incredible shipwreck. He almost dies, and it's, just, it's an incredible supernatural story of God's salvation and, and, and God's provision. But, but the, the reason why they ended up in their shipwreck is because the sailors felt and observed what they called a southerly, southerly wind, that, that gave them hope that they were going to be able to make safe passage. But then when that southerly wind came, it kind of tricked them because then the wind shifted and a typhoon came and they were all fearing for their lives. And, and I was sharing this with a friend this week who's been through a difficult season. And, and again, I want to share this with you, too, because having a sense that there might be somebody here who it, it could encourage them is, is that sometimes in this in this life, when we're in a season of hardship, we have to remember that the hardship is intended to carry us to people that we would have never otherwise met who need to know Jesus. Because Paul did some incredible things to minister to people on this island where they were shipwrecked. And those people would have never heard the gospel. Many of those people would have died who were miraculously healed by Paul as he ministered to prayer to them. That he would have never otherwise been there if it had not been for the tragedy that brought him there. So if you're in a place of tragedy, if you're in a place where maybe you're even questioning God, why is this happening to me? My encouragement to you, if you are a Christ follower, to find the hope to look around in your circumstance and ask the question, God, who are the people that this crisis has brought me to because I'm supposed to tell them about Jesus. Father, I pray for all of us when we find ourselves in hardship and tragedy, like Paul on this island, like Paul in this situation, that we would remember just like they were on a ship that had set sail, that crisis is often a ship for us that carries us to places and to people who need to know Jesus. Help us, God. Help us. Help us to find those people, and to be courageous in those moments. Come on, in Christ's name, and everybody said, amen. All right, four myths, four myths about prayer. The, the first one is this, is that I'm too far from God. 
I think sometimes people, they don't pray because they've bought into this belief and this idea that God is just detached, that, that God is in heaven, but he's not really here. Maybe he's involved in world events, but he's not involved with me or he's not involved with my life. And you've bought into this belief and in this myth that just God is distant. And I want to read a couple of verses to you tonight. We're not going to spend a ton of time on each one of these individually because I want to hit at least these four. Psalm 145 18 reads this way, the Lord is close to all who call on him. Come on, yes, to all who call on him in truth. How about Isaiah 59, 1 says, listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. If your idea of God is that he can reach you because he's big, then I would say you've got the wrong idea of who he is. God is able to reach you because he's close to you. Is God big? Yes, we understand the theological implications of that. But, but, but that's not how he wants you to view him. He, what, what, how he wants you to view him, which he keeps coming back to all throughout Scripture, is that he hears you because he's near to you and he's close to you. He's close to you. He's not too far. The second one is this, I've done too many bad things. It might be that as you look into the story of your life, you find yourself in a place where you don't want to pray because you, you find yourself distracted by all the bad things that you have done, all the moments where you've disappointed yourself, disappointed others. Maybe even in your heart you understand that you've disappointed God. Listen to this. This is 1 Peter 3, 3.12. Now you might find this to be a strange verse, but I'm going to explain it. In a minute, it says, The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. And you might say, well, Fred, well, that just reinforces what you're saying is a myth. And, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later. But, but, but what Peter is trying to help people understand here is that he turns his face against those who do evil in the sense that people that don't even care about who God is in the life that they've been created for we're going to talk about this in a little bit. This idea of, of, of being wicked is are people who are blatant and boastful in, the, in their life. But, but if you, if there is an inclination in any way in your heart that you want to talk to God, can I just say that this verse is not about you? If there is a desire inside of you to be known by God, to be heard by God, then I if you've got a lot of things that you are ashamed of, then what I would say to you is per prayer is the perfect place for you to be because you've got a lot of things to talk to God about. 1 John 1, 9 says this, If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I didn't make a decision to follow Christ in earnest. I grew up in a Christian home, but I didn't make a decision to follow Christ in earnest until December of 1990. I was 23 years old. And can I just tell you, I had a lot of things that I needed to talk to God about for the next couple of years. But those things were not the things that kept me from praying. Those things fueled my prayer life because there was a lot of confessing that I needed to do. If you're under this myth that you've done too many bad things, I hope that you're free from that tonight. If you've bought into this idea that God is distant from you, what I would say to you, no, 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 no. He's right here with you even now in this moment. The third one is this. 
I find that people struggle with prayer because they think they don't know how to pray the right way. I, I call it a Harry Potter mentality. It's as though Christianity is Christian magic for you. You've bought into this belief or this idea that there are certain incantations or you've got to pray a certain way or that prayer is a way that you're kind of bending the will of God in the order of universe to yours. That's not what prayer is about. It's not about learning the right words to say in the right way. It's about bearing your heart before your creator. Listen to Jeremiah 33.3. I love all these verses tonight. We're going to be reading together. Ask me and I will tell you remarkable secrets that you do not know about things to come. How great is that? See, prayer is not about knowing the secrets so that you can pray. Pray. God says, no, no, no. How about you come and pray and then that's going to be the place where you discover secrets that I want to reveal to you. How about Psalm 62.8 says, Oh, my people, trust in me at all times and pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. If we've been talking about a method of prayer and different parts that prayer is supposed to be, and, and that's an important part of this series. But, but that's not where you start. right? You, you're going to grow into that place. Where you just need to start, prayer is simply pouring your heart out to God. Pouring your heart out to him, Psalm 62 how about Psalm 42, 5 that says, why? I love this. David is always talking to himself, is he not? Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God and I will praise him again. If you find yourself not wanting to pray because you're not sure you're doing it right, then just come to a place where you're just have decided you're going to hope in God and him is your creator and you're going to bear your heart to him. Prayer is not about trusting in your ability to pray. It's about trusting in God who hears your prayer. You with me? Prayer is not about having a sense of confidence about how great I can do this. Prayer is about having a sense of confidence in the one that you're coming to no matter how poorly we're doing it in bearing our heart. God's not looking for people who pray perfectly. He's just looking for people who are willing to pray to a perfect God. The last one is this, this, this myth, and then we're going to hit the three times where the Bible says, don't bother. That's the title for my sermon. Vanessa came in the office this afternoon. She's filling in in the nursery if you're wondering where she is. I'm sure breaking every rule in there for the sake of fun. Poor Amy Kimball was like, we're going to have a fun time tonight, but I think we're all going to get in trouble. If you know Vanessa, you know that to be true. She came into my office this afternoon and she said, I need the title of your sermon. I said, don't bother. She looked at me like, what did you just say to me? Right. Because, you know, that side of Vanessa, too. And I said, no, 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 no. That's, that's the title of the actual sermon. She's like, oh, OK, OK, I will not take your life in this moment. Oh. What, what I need seems impossible. I think this is another reason why people don't pray. Because they just come to the decision, why should I try? Because the outcome I'm hoping for is an impossibility. How about Jeremiah 32, 17? It says, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. 
How about Matthew 19, 26 reads this way. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. If, if what you're hoping for is that if the outcome that you're praying for is a natural impossibility, can I just tell you that's the most fertile ground for prayer that you're going to find? That, that, that those situations and those circumstances are all the more reason why we should be laying them at the feet of God. So don't get bogged down and hung up in myths about why you shouldn't or why you can't. Just Can we just agree throughout our lives? Bear your heart to God. He wants to hear you. He's a perfect father. But in some instances, right, here's the tension. There are some times where God says, I don't want to talk to you about that. Prayer is not the right thing for this moment. The first one is this. It's when you already know. When you already know. Now, you know what I'm talking about if you've got littles. If you've got littles. Children are never as thirsty as they are at bedtime. Your, your child can go throughout the entire day without taking a sip of water. And in fact, you might be chastening your child because they do not drink enough. But when it comes time for bed, they, it is as though they have been in a desert for weeks on end, and they will die if they are not hydrated in some capacity. And then after they, then they have to go to the bathroom. You, you know, you know what I'm talking about. What, what, what? They, they children early on. No one teaches it to them. They're not learning it from other people. Maybe if they've got brothers and sisters, they are. But even kids that don't have brothers and sisters, they figure this out. There is a delay tactic that is employed at times as a child when they do not want to do what they know they're supposed to do. You'd like to think that we grow out of that. Well, maybe we do socially, but spiritually, oftentimes, we're the little kid at bedtime and God has told us what he expects of us. And we use prayer as a delay tactic. Masking our disobedience. I know. Ouch. Exodus 14, 1 to 22. I'm not going to read all of it. That's a chunk of verses. Exodus 14, 1 to 22. The notes are online. You can always get them there. Moses has just led the Israelites out of Egypt. All of the plagues have happened. There is this belief that they are going to be free after hundreds of years of slavery. They find themselves on the border of the Red Sea. There is a sea in front of them. Talk about impossible situations and circumstances. There is one of the greatest armies the world has ever known that is bearing down on them. And God says to Moses, I want you to take your staff, I want you to touch it to the water, and then I want you to cross over to the other side. Now, if you read these verses in Exodus 14, 1 to 22, we find Moses posturing himself in a place of prayer. And God basically says to him, I don't know why you're talking to me. I've already told you what you're supposed to do. Now, would you just do it? How many times do we find ourselves in life? We don't have questions about what God is asking of us. We just have questions about whether or not we want to do it. 
And we use prayer as a delay tactic for the obedience that he requires and expects of us. So God says, when you already know, don't pray. Obey. Obey. Now I want to draw a distinction here between wrestling with God because we want clarity. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not talking about living an impulsive life. I'm not talking to, uh, about abandoning this idea of looking for confirmation. All of those are healthy moments for us in our journey as Christians. Again, I'm just putting all of this in here. If you want the notes, you can read it. But in Luke 22, 39 to 46, we, 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 we find these, 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 these references. All right, let's, well, let's just take the time to do it. Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. And there he told them, pray that you will not go give into temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. He does this three times. This is Jesus is not being Moses here. You tracking with me? There is a difference between using prayer as a delay tactic and coming to a place of prayer because you feel the weight of what God is asking of you, and you want to make sure that you get it right. And what we're finding here, this is right, Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. And we have this incredible glimpse of the humanity of Christ just bending under the weight of the burden of his divinity. So are there times where God asks big things of us? Yes. And prayer is an incredible gift that God has given to us for us to bring those situations to God, seeking clarity for the direction that he has for us, wrestling with the emotions of what we know is going to be required of us. That's a great time for prayer. There is a vast difference between confiding in God through prayer and resisting God through prayer. And it's important that we understand the difference between those two. Number two is when they really don't care. So God says, don't pray when you already know. He says, don't pray when they really don't care. Now, what's that about? Jeremiah 7, 3 through 7. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Even now, if you quit your evil ways, I will, I will let you stay in your own land. This is Jeremiah prophesying over the nation of Israel in their, in their, in their religious rebellion. But don't be fooled by those who promise you safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. They chant, the Lord's temple is here, the Lord's temple is here, but I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds that start treating and start treating each other with justice. Hello, justice is a central theme, right, to Scripture. Only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans, and widows, and if you stop your murdering, and only if you stop harming yourselves by worshiping idols, then I will let you stay in this land, and I will give your ancestors to keep forever. What's Jeremiah saying here? Jeremiah is saying, just because Israel has a temple, and if you know anything about the temple, you know it was a place of constant prayer and worship before the Lord. God, God was saying to them, those prayers are not enough. Those prayers, it's not accounting people. If I do all of this, then it's okay for me to forsake all of that. God, God is saying these prayers to be heard, that you need to make sure that you're doing what you can to live up to the truth that you know. 
And you might say, well, Fred, I think you're reading into the text a little bit. I know, I know, so let's keep reading together. Jeremiah 7, verse 16, pray no more for these people. Yeah, that's in your Bible. Pray no more for these people. Do not weep or pray for them. Listen to what he says. Do not beg me to help them, for I will not listen to you. Come on. Right here, God says, don't pray. Don't you see what they are doing throughout the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? Let's keep going. Jeremiah eleven fourteen. Pray no more for these people, Jeremiah. Do not weep or pray for them, for I will not listen to them when they cry out to me in distress. And then, as if Jeremiah is still unsure, we get to chapter 14, verse 11. Then the Lord said to me, do not pray for these people anymore. It's powerful, isn't it? Let me share this thought with you. I don't believe our prayers can contravene the free will of other people. Meaning that your prayers do not at any point infringe on the free will of other people. This is why I often pray that God will send people across the paths of people that I'm praying for that are running from Jesus. My prayer is often that God is going to send people to them because people carry the message of the gospel, and it is the message of the gospel that turns people's hearts. I think this is what Jesus says to us in the gospels. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest for him to send laborers into the field. Right When he says the harvest is ripe and, and ready, that people need to know the gospel, he, he doesn't say pray for them. He says, no, 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 pray that God's going to raise up people to send to them. So often that's my prayer for people, people in my family who have yet to make a vow of devotion to Christ. I pray for divine encounters for them. I pray that God's going to send people across their paths. I pray that they're going to run into strangers that are going to be prompted, inspired by the Holy Spirit to share with them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.9 reads this way. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, meaning Jesus' return, as some people think. I love this verse. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Why, why am I sharing that verse with you? Be, because I want to be true to the text. This is important, right? There's a part of me that says, I don't know if I want to talk about these verses in Jeremiah because I don't know if I want people to walk away from this service asking the question, maybe I should stop praying for that person. You with me? But it's, we got to be true to the text. You, you can't leave stuff out because we don't like the conclusions that it brings us to. But, but this is what I believe about this situation and circumstance with Jeremiah. You and I have been tasked with the responsibility to pray for the lost. And this is what I would say to you. You should pray for them until God says otherwise. You should pray for them until God says otherwise. And can I just tell you, in my 54 years of living, more than half of that as a devoted follower of Christ, I have never had God say to me, stop praying for that person or that situation and that circumstance. It doesn't mean that it won't, because clearly it was for Jeremiah. It, do, it doesn't mean that that won't happen for me, and it doesn't mean that it hasn't happened for some of you, and maybe that this is, a, a, this is an important moment for you because you've always been confused about that sense that you had from God, and now you're like, oh, now I see why. But I would say 
unless you know that God has spoken to you like he did for Jeremiah, what I would say, let's keep praying. Come on, for the lost to know him. The third and final one is this, when you should know better. When you should know better. When you already know is different from this one. When you already know is about a decision that God is asking you to make or a choice that he's asking you to make that's unique to you. It's unique to your situation and your story and your journey. It's not a moral issue. This one right here, when you should know better, this is where the Bible's talking about how things that are wrong for all people for all time, if you have immersed yourself in these things and in this kind of life, then they are an impediment to your prayers being heard by him when you should know better. And the first one is this, just for husbands. Come on. I know. It's coming. Just wives, just don't elbow anybody. First Peter 3, 7, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you, meaning that there is a vulnerability that she carries that's by God's design that brings beauty and nurturing into the world. Doesn't mean less than you. Because then Peter follows up. She is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Listen to what it says. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Wow. Yeah. So if, husbands, you feel like maybe your prayers are falling on deaf ears, it might be time from, for some self-reflection. Am I treating my wife the way that I should? It's fascinating, isn't it, that God connects this to prayer. Now, I think this is a fill-in-the-blank moment. You hear me say this all the time, and the reason I say that, because it's not the only time in the Bible where we're told that if we're willingly and blatantly doing something that we know that we shouldn't, we should know better, God says, I'm not going to hear your prayers. How about Proverbs 28.9? God, listen to this, detests the prayers of a person who ignores the law. Detest the prayers of a person who ignores the good that they should do and ignores the wrong that they shouldn't. Isaiah 59.2 says, It's your sins that have cut you off from God because your sins he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Now again, this is what I was talking about earlier. This is different from earlier when I was talking about the myth. This, this is for people that are just praying for show. Or this is people who are praying because they're hoping and believing that if they just do some religious practice, that it gives them permission to live an inappropriate life. God says that's not how it works. Proverbs 15, 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked. Wicked means blatant and boastful. Blatant and boastful. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. And then Proverbs 21, 13 reads this way. Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. Sobering, sobering verses, are they not? Sobering verses. 
I think this is another reason why prayer is all the more important, which is one of the things I hope you get out of this message tonight, is that part of our prayer life should actually be about self-reflection and self-examination. Part of our prayer life should be saying to the Holy Spirit, Holy, Holy Spirit, is there anything in my life that's going to hinder my prayers? Is there anything that I've bought into that's keeping me from praying but also, is there anything that I'm giving my life to or maybe that I am withholding my life from that is going to affect my prayers being effectual and impactful? And can I also just say, as the band comes, I'm going to close with a song tonight, that I brought this message to this point also to set up where we're going for the December sermon series, which is going to be entitled, Emmanuel, God with us, are you? Because in this sermon series in December, we're going to talk about incarnational living. And that if we're not careful because of the situation and the circumstance that we find ourselves in the world today, that we are going to find ourselves through convenience withdrawing from community. Withdrawing from community during the pandemic with good cause is a good reason. But there are a lot of people who are withdrawing from community who do not have good cause. And we know this because we're following you on Facebook. <laughs> Enough said. Clearly, the withdrawal from community is not out of a sense of concern because there's not concern demonstrated through the rest of all of your life. And I share that in the context of this one you should know better because one of the consequences of withdrawing from community is that you, you lessen the number of voices in your life who love you enough to challenge you. You tracking with me? One of the prices that you pay from withdrawing from community is that you begin to minimize the number of voices in your life who love you enough to challenge you in some way, in some manner. All of us have things in our lives that we're walking in in disobedience in some measure. Whether, again, it's not doing the good that we should or doing the wrong that we shouldn't. And one of the great gifts of the family of God is walking in community with people who are going to see what's missing and see what needs to be missing and lovingly have a conversation with us. And when, and when you step out of community, you, you, you have less people challenging you, which means that you're going to have more things in your life that need to be added that are missing, and then more things are going to creep in that shouldn't. And you know what? That begins to hinder your prayer life. So part of this idea of incarnational living is being present for one another because guess what you're supposed to be that voice for somebody else it's not just about you being present so other people can be a voice in your life because this is what incarnational living is about it's about serving and being served and what we can't do is 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 let a global crisis rob us of one of the greatest treasures the kingdom of god puts in front of us and that's one another stand with me as we pray Father, you know that I've been in these moments praying this prayer and 
praying it also privately in my own life that my, my hope is that, that through this series that people are just going to pray more. That, 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 that one of the, 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 the fruits that, that are going to come from this series is that people are going to find their prayer voice. They're going to find their rhythm in life with prayer. They're going to find themselves coming to you more than they were before. Bearing their hearts. Worshiping you, thanking you, petitioning you, all the things that we've talked about in the series. Listening, knowing that prayer is not a monologue but a conversation. And then even tonight, the part of prayer that is about self-reflection. About being willing to stand with the Holy Spirit and look into our own life and see the change that needs to come. Father, I pray that people tonight would be free of every myth that is robbing them of prayer. But I also pray, God, that that they would allow the truth of Scripture to come in and challenge them, maybe in areas of their life that they've never considered before that are hindering their prayers. We know, God, at the end of the day that you want us to have a relationship with you that is deep, that is real, that is personal, that is life-defining, passion-filled, and moment-by-moment governing. That you gave us the gift of life so we could know the gift of being in your family. And I pray that as we move forward through this holiday season, that what people are going to bring out the other side, maybe more than ever before, is the gift of prayer. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said, amen. Let's worship together.